Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights? We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Rodan, Montana and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 2. Today we're going to talk about objective evidence for NDEs. Today's passage of Scripture comes from Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, which says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. Uh, we've been praying for you. Uh, we just hope that you uh, caught the first uh, part of this series, um, episode one, and then uh, were able to keep up with us. But if you haven't, go back and review that and uh, take a listen um, and uh, and really kind of maybe take some notes because uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be important to what we talk about today on episode two. So let's go ahead and just jump right in and welcome on Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey, Curtis. Hope you're doing well today. Yep, doing good. So, so last podcast we had a good time. I, I really enjoyed yeah. talking through that that information. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was just gonna say I was we really kind of basically just kind of um, you know like a boat going through the water. We kind of caused a, a wake there, kind of opening some stuff up for us to be able to really talk about and think about. It seemed like there's a lot of material there to cover. Um, we could have podcasts on each and every one of those questions that we oh, that we put up. So the the subject is really deep. Um, but now we're going to get into some of the evidence of the NDEs, and I think 
this could allow for some really good talking points and really good um, discussions between people. And, and um, man, once we bring in the evidence for it, oh boy. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. And and I want to say that you know t today we're going to talk about a certain form of evidence, and we're going to go through some cases um, that um, that that are that are really going to hopefully uh, bring out the the um, the particulars and show and show uh, really why there's a wealth of evidence supporting that these that these things that these things happen i mean there are obviously questions that we're not going to be able to resolve but the, but the the biggest question we're seeking to answer is whether or not there is evidence to suggest that near death experiences happen and then what yeah. we want to do on our next podcast we're going to go through uh, common objections and eventually you know we're going to we're going to give you it probably be on the next podcast but there's a there's an acronym that I want to give you that uh, to use as we go through these things uh, to to really kind of safeguard ourselves to to keep things in proper perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's going to be it's going to be curious to to hear or to see all of this come together and then be able to build that um, acronym that helps us basically formulate it into our mind. Um, definitely some philosophical stuff coming up here too oh absolutely so, and so some of the things that, that ndes let me just say one little quick thing before we go on some of the things that ndes provide us uh in the philosophical realm are some very important things that are very um huge very major when it comes to overarching the overarching philosophical side to worldview building yeah and i think um, we, we definitely don't want to, just like, just like anything else, just like even in, you know, like you could say my Pentecostal circle that I run in, um, you know, we don't want to let experience trump scripture. We want scripture to lead, lead the situation, but we still have to explore, we still have to explore the emotional and the physical to find out exactly how does this all tie together and I, I think if you hold a solid biblical worldview, kind of like we talked in the the last last season, um, in our last podcast of the last season where we were recapping everything, we kind of touched on if a pastor has a good apologetic and the people have a good apologetic understanding of, of the scripture, it's easier to dip into this stuff to really investigate it to find out and have a solid base to explain the experiences that we have absolutely and and you know we we've talked about this before about presuppositionalism the problems with presuppositionalism but we as christians we don't need to fear seeking out the truth because right. If the Bible is God's word, and there's plenty of evidence, because you know we take a classical approach, evidentialist approach to apologetics. If the Bible is the word of God, if Jesus has really risen from the dead, then we have nothing to fear from investigating these things, because honestly, right. all truth is God's truth. We know that truth is an attribute of God. We we spoke about that when we went through that first theological. Um, attributes of God that we did uh, way back when. Right. I can't even remember when it was we did that. But God is truth. So all truth is God's truth. 
Now, that doesn't mean that people don't misconstrue things and may may uh, interpret things in different ways according to what happens to them. But when we investigate the resurrection of Jesus, a lot of what we're doing is we're investigating eyewitness testimony and seeing what we can identify from that to see whether or not we have a case to build for the resurrection. And just so happens that we have a tremendous evidence um, from from numerous walks, from manuscript evidence, from eyewitness testimony to the number of eyewitness testimony to embarrassing details given. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, right. The fact that the apostles were willing to die for something they knew to be true, that that's an evidence for the resurrection. But anyhow, I, to move on, uh, we have no need to fear following evidence and seeking out the truth. So we have nothing to fear when we investigate these things. Right. So as a recap, um, let's kind of touch on what, what the NDEs were just to kind of maybe bring that back so we can just kind of have a baseline. Yeah, and and I might need to go through as us as we were uh, before the podcast. I was thinking we might need to give just a brief de- description of, of of the theology we mentioned last week too. So near death experience NDEs are short for or uh, near death experiences. These are experiences that people have at the time of death. Now they're not called death experiences, even though they. They are death experiences, but they're not called death experiences because if they were complete death experiences, the person would stay dead. The fact that they come back, they came back, is identifying the fact that it's a near death, that they died, but they didn't stay dead. You know, so that's the distinction that happens between near death experiences and full on death experiences. And in the last podcast, we talked about uh, whether or not uh, NDEs can fit within the biblical worldview. And we gave a pretty much a systematic uh, ex- defense for the soul survival position that in the intermediate state, that time between our death and the final resurrection, or the, the resurrection that happens when Jesus returns at uh, the second coming, uh, or the parousia, whatever you want to call it, uh, when he returns, when we're resurrected, that time between, our soul continues to live on uh, and then is reunited with our bodies when Jesus returns. Uh, in that perspective, we have nothing to fear with NDEs, and in fact, we should anticipate NDEs to happen if we are dualistic in- entities, that we have an immaterial, immaterial self, and we go to live with God uh, spiritually uh, at the time, or consciously and spiritually, uh, between the time of our deaths and the resurrection. Or our resurrections, I should say. So, just to just to kind of maybe um, maybe get some dig a little more information out of it. So the NDEs, what you're explaining is they could even be flatlined or not flatlined. They could be um, having having a uh, uh, an experience before or after. Um, or I guess you could say before or after a hospital visit or during a, um, a traumatic event, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All those things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's explain the difference between objective and subjective evidence and what kind of evidence do we seek for the NDEs? Okay, subjective evidence is that which occurs within a particular person. So... With NDEs, 
if a person says they saw certain things in eternity, we, we really have no way of verifying what they saw, except for certain instances, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, uh, about when people see individuals who had passed, maybe they didn't know they had passed, or maybe they see individuals that they didn't even know existed, but the family members back here did. Uh, mm-hmm. That is more objective-based. So subjective evidence is what happens within a, a particular person. It's, it's uh, an experience that happens to one person. Objective evidence is that which can be verified by other eyewitnesses and external corroborating factors. So if a person, say for instance, said that they saw a, a fireball, a large meteorite in the sky, well, that was their experience, but if you don't have any other data, then it's basically subjective. It's, it's whether or not you can trust what the person's saying or not. But if multiple people saw the same fireball in the sky, and there were there was maybe even a recording uh, that picked it up, or uh, someone took a camera, a, a picture of it, or even say there were rocks that were falling from the meteor that were discovered, all of which corroborated the fact of what this person said, that's objective based. So objective evidence is, is, are, is evidence that can be corroborated external to the person's experience. And by the way, that's what we use uh, when we defend the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we're looking at uh, the right. eyewitness testimony, the manuscript evidence. We look at the enemy attestation. Uh, we look at many different factors. Now, obviously, you know, and I even think that uh, if the Shroud of Turin is a legitimate grave cloth of Jesus, that could even be a factor that we could add to it. Now, you don't have to have it to defend the resurrection. You've got plenty enough right. evidence without it. But if it is, not that I don't, not that I think that it ever will be 100% verified, but if it is, I mean, that is an even more uh, objective evidence that we would have for the resurrection of Jesus. But anyhow, this is the type of evidence we're looking for. We're not looking for what a person sees on the other side. We're looking for evidence that can be backed up by testimony right. on this side. That's what we're looking for. All right. So you're talking about like subjective would be um, the colors and the things that the person saw, but objective would be like, for example, um, what shoes and what socks a person was wearing that that nobody else knew was around, but that person is there, and then everybody is able to verify it. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, and I even think that with, you know, on the last podcast, we let reread a um, portion from John Burke's book. Um, what did I do with it? Uh, John, um, it's around here somewhere. Oh, yeah, Imagine Heaven by John Burke, and he gives some data where uh, a percentage of so many people saw certain things. That That is... A little more objective. I think the fact that you have so many people reporting similar things. Multiple evidence. But but I think the better evidence would be, uh, say, a person while leaving the body sees an object on the floor, and it's verified by people who were there that that object was there, and, there, and the person never mm-hmm. knew about it. That's more the type of evidence we're looking for when we're talking about NDEs. Things that can be corroborated okay. by witnesses who actually did not have the NDE, uh, but could confirm uh, something that the person said that they saw. Mm-hmm. So then, have people verified seeing objects outside their body? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and <laughs> I'm just going to give you just a handful of stories. There are numerous other stories out there uh, that that say the same things. I'm just giving you some of the best that I've seen in uh, in in, uh, in from my from my research. So numerous people have had NDE events describe seeing objects while outside their body. In some cases, they observed objects which could have never been otherwise seen from their angle or from their perspective while lying on a gurney or operating table. For instance, Gary Habermas and J.P. Moreland report the uh, following story in their book Beyond Death. Kimberly Clark Sharp tells the story of a lady named Maria who experienced an NDE during her first visit, first visit to Seattle, Washington. While at Harborview Hospital in Seattle, she had an instance that happened that, that led her to the hospital. Maria told Sharp that she had an NDE in which she left her body and exited out the hospital and viewed a blue tennis shoe on the ledge of the hospital's roof around the corner from where she had first entered the facility. I think this may have been even like on the third or fourth floor, somewhere along that area. It was uh, impossible to view the shoe from the ground. Maria described a warm place on the toe of the shoe and blue lace found under the heel. Sharp later confirmed, because she was skeptical, So, because uh, so, in fact Sharp had even had an NDE herself, and she tossed it off as just some, she must have imagined it or something like that. So she was kind of quick to mm. toss it off. Well, she actually went up to the area where Maria said she saw the shoe. She searched around in a very obscure area and found a blue shoe with a worn place on the toe and blue lace under the heel exactly as Maria said that she saw. There's absolutely no way that she could have ever known that such an object was there. (laughs) Now, in an interesting twist... A similar instance occurred in Hartford, Connecticut. An NDEer told an RN that during her resuscitation, she felt herself being pulled up through several floors of the hospital. She floated above the roof of the building and observed the Hartford landscape. She noted that she saw out of the corner of her eye or the corner of her view a red shoe-like object And so a skeptic heard about this. He climbed to the roof of the hospital and sure enough noticed a red shoe lying to the side. What is absolutely even more remarkable about this story is that neither the lady who experienced the NDE nor the attending RN nor the skeptic who found the shoe knew anything about the instance that happened in Seattle, Washington with the case of the blue shoe. These are two absolutely separate instances that uh, that have corroborating evidence to suggest that people saw some object that was never even known about by the people in the hospital, but was later mm-hmm. confirmed to be in the exact location that they said they saw it. Mm-hmm. I think, and I don't know if it was in Craig Keener's uh, two-volume set or if it was in uh, Lee Strobel's book, um, the case for miracles. Um, That's a book I'm wanting to read. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard a lot it, of good things about he's it. He's talking about. Um, I, I've talking read Keener's, not a, not Strobel. Sorry, sorry. Just to clarify, oh, I've read yeah. Keener's, but not Strobel's. Yeah, where he's talking about 
um, there was a specific machine that they were trying to get going, and and, and uh, the person said that the reason it wasn't going was because it wasn't plugged in um, <laughs> when they got resuscitated, and the doctors and the nurses there kind of argued, said, no, it's plugged in. It's just not working. It's just not working. And well, one, one nurse had gone, uh, to where it would have been plugged in and it, it verified it wasn't plugged in. And the only way they would have known that because <laughs> everybody was, you know, she was dying or, or had been on the table. So she wouldn't have known, you know? So interesting stuff when it comes down to that kind of stuff and this is just the tip of the iceberg there are numerous other stories like this like the two that we shared and like the one you shared numerous other stories uh that confirm this very thing this is the type of evidence we're looking for when it comes to ndes so are there cases where people um have seen events outside the body during ndes <laughs> yeah i've got to share this story with you this also comes from from uh from i think it's from habermas let me look here uh no it's actually comes from uh it's it's recorded reported excuse me in habermas and moreland's book beyond death but uh but it's actually it first comes from raymond moody in a lecture he gave at louisiana state university this is probably my all-time favorite uh nde story so, uh, in a humorous case, a young lady uh, had a condition where she was uh, in, in the hospital, and uh, she was taken to the operating room, or it may have been the emergency room, I can't remember, but anyhow, during the instance, she, she left her body and went down the hallway into the waiting room where her family was located. Hmm. Now, Curtis, I don't know about you, but I know in a lot of families, there's always that one person, that really obnoxious <laughs> person. Oh. But, but please don't say any names. <laughs> but, but, but every family has one of those people. Well, for this young lady, that person was her obnoxious brother-in-law. And so she, she went into the room and heard them talking. And one person asked the brother-in-law you know, if he was planning to stay. And and he said, his exact words, he said, yeah, I want to stay around to see if the old gal kicks the bucket. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> well, there's that. That's right. <laughs> she returns to her body. She's resuscitated, returns to her body, and she goes through the process of recovery. And, and there's probably a few days, if not weeks, that go through before she is able to, to, to get back to the point that she can talk with her family. And when she does... She finds that so-and-so brother-in-law and says, Oh, by the way, how dare you say that you're waiting around to see if I kick the bucket? <laughs> the, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> the, Moment of awkwardness right there. The brother-in-law... You'd be thinking, okay, who said what? <laughs> the brother-in-law's mouth dropped open, as did everyone else who was in that waiting room. So she confirmed... Uh, the situation that happened down the hall in the waiting room from where the operating room or emergency room, wherever it was she was, uh, down the hallway from uh, where she left the body. <laughs> oh, man. That's probably my favorite story <laughs> in the East story. Thanksgiving dinners are a little awkward still, huh? <laughs> I can imagine it probably would be. <laughs> yeah. He probably is like, I won't say another word. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you say in waiting rooms. You never know who might right. be listening. 
Right. 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 So, um, yeah, I've heard some of those kind of stories too. And I just, when you hear those kind of things, man, I just, you can't help but deny that, that somebody had an experience of some sort. And, oh yeah, you know yeah, it's you got confirmed. Together, so, yeah, it's it's hard to deny that. I mean, because you know when you, and these are not. I mean, the the stories we're going to mention in on the podcast today are just the tip of the iceberg. There are numerous other stories out there uh, that that tell similar instances that have happened. I mean, they don't mean exactly mm-hmm. like the, this, but but they uh, that they have objective evidence that they can provide. So just just out of curiosity. If we if we look at Craig Keener's work of what he's done on on this particular subject, those were case studies that that didn't involve a you know really um, a you could say a spiritual person you know it's not necessarily meaning it was a a Christian or whatever that that was that was having these experiences. It was verified. Even medically, and oh, all absolutely. Over the board about this, yeah. Well, and that's so, the thing about these cases. I mean, in in the event with the blue shoe and the red shoe, they were confirmed by medical personnel who went up to investigate the claims that mm-hmm. that these people had made. Uh, and and the, and there are other stories we're going to talk about today that also can be confirmed by medical personnel about mm. the things that have happened. And again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're giving you a few case studies. There are numerous other ones out there we could mention. Yeah, so ha- number five is ha- have have people verified places outside their bodies during an NDE? Yeah, and you know, you could even mention, uh, if when, when it comes to places, uh, you could even mention the, the, the whole instance of the blue shoe, red shoe, in Hartford and uh, Red Shoe in Hartford and a Blue Shoe in Seattle. Uh, but another report describes the events surrounding an NDE of an 11 year old boy. Now, this is really hits home because my son is uh, one year, well, almost two years older than that. 11 uh, year old boy who suffered a cardiac arrest while in the hospital. He had no, now get this, you talk about medical confirmation. He had no heartbeat for 20 minutes. No heartbeat for 20 minutes. During his 20 minutes without a heartbeat, the young boy described himself as watching the events of the emergency room from the ceiling. After his recovery, he was able to accurately convey the medical procedures the doctors and nurses performed, the colors of the instruments in the ER and where they could be found, the medical personnel's genders, and even recounted their discussions all of the boys' reports were confirmed by the medical staff in the operating mm. room that day. I'll be. And he did not have a heartbeat for 20 minutes. Wow. And what does that do for the medical staff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I, I, let me just say, uh, I work with a group of people who are are good godly Christians. Now, I don't know that if all of them are, but I dare say the vast majority of them are. And and when you work, and I'm not going to, certainly not going to say everyone in healthcare is a Christian or a believer. I, you know, that would obviously be a false statement to say that. But I think when you're around these instances, it, it, you either have to uh, just pass them off and, and just 
not think about them or really meditate on them and and really contemplate what these things truly mean. Now, there are individuals in the materialist world, and we'll talk more about this on our next podcast, talking about objections, that would say that these are mere hallucinations. But hallucinations, and let's just go ahead and cover this part, hallucinations cannot provide objective data like this does. And there's also a chemical that some people, and this is the latest rave on, on news media outlets, that they'll say that... Um, you can induce, what is it called, DMT or something like that. There's a certain type of drug you can give people that will present, provi- uh, provide uh, NDE-like events. But the thing is, is that, that you don't see people from the other side that, that you didn't know who had died. You can't confirm objects in rooms like what happens here. And in fact, there, there's a lot of things that, um, that, that don't happen with those experiences that uh, that do happen with the the genuine article with NDEs, and so uh, you know it it may produce the 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 chemical seeing uh, the 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 feeling of ecstasy and peace or something like that, but it's just a manufactured form of the ultimate reality that comes from mm. true genuine NDEs. And again, mm-hmm. these altered states cannot provide the objective evidence that true genuine NDEs do. Right. And is, is a lot of this stuff is is very detailed information, detailed oriented information that that uh, would only hold, you know, in that one specific room, like a operating room. Um, when you're coming into recovery, you're not in that same operating room. Yeah, there, there's only the medical staff would have been there, and you. Only the medical the team table. would have been in there, and and again, yeah. this this boy he, he did not have a heartbeat for twenty minutes. He was in all senses dead. Um, mm. So, and he reported seeing these things and could provide it in accurate detail. So, you, one could even yeah. say, well, maybe he could hear the discussions. Well, granted, I'll give you that. Maybe he could have heard the discussions if, you know, uh, during that time. But how do you describe seeing the events taking place, the procedures taking place, seeing all the instrumentations, noting what uh the, the genders of everyone and where all the instruments were which would be even be be beyond his viewpoint i don't think there's any way right. of describing that outside of the fact that he genuinely had an nde experience mm-hmm. he had an out of a body experience that's yeah, interesting it's interesting you know why can't we have an experience like that and put a spiritual um, ha- you know, a cap on it. Why can't we put a spiritual tie to it? If we if we come at it from a biblical worldview, I, like we talked earlier, I don't see any reason why we couldn't um, do that. I and, agree with you. And, yeah, yeah, interesting. So, this is an interesting question: Have blind people reported cases of having visual experiences during NDEs? For me. There are very few times in life where you have a slam dunk case. I think this is <laughs> this one, and uh, probably the next question we're going to talk about. The, 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 to me, this is absolutely impossible to explain by any other means of other than an NDE that took place. So, in a 2008 study, Kenneth Ring, and this can be found in Kenneth Ring and Sharon Cooper's book Mindsight. Uh, near-death and out-of-body experiences in the blind. In a 2008 study, scientific study, 
Kenneth Ring interviewed 21 blind people who described confirmed visual experiences during their NDE events. Now, get this. 21 blind people, 14 of them had been born blind from birth. Never seen anything in their entire existence. Oh, boy. Ring's peer-reviewed study. This is a peer-reviewed study. Supported four conclusions. One, NDEs are the same for individuals who are blind or visually impaired as they are for those who can physically see. Two, blind and visually impaired persons describe the same kind of visual perceptions as the visually unimpaired. Three, some of these reports have been validated have been validated by outside witnesses as the type of evidence we're looking for. And four, preliminary evidence corroborates that visual experiences do indeed occur in NDE encounters. In other cases, now here, get this, in other cases outside of Ring study, and this one can be found in Habermas and Moreland, um, in other cases outside of Ring study, a chemist who was blinded a year before his NDE uh, experience accurately conveyed visual details surrounding his death experience, including objects in the room. Blind individuals accurately described the design and colors of clothing and jewelry of those around them when they died. The individuals were then retested after their NDE experience and it was confirmed that they continued to physically be blind once they returned to the body. Now, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> but what it does be confirm... Like, wait a minute, I, wait, 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 I want to have my color, my eyes back. I want to be able to see. But what the it does confirm this, is, is that they saw these things out of yeah, the body, and when they returned the to the body, they couldn't see anything yep. again. Right. So you're you're bound by the physical limitations of the of the flesh. Exactly. Yeah. So like in the the <laughs> like the eleven year old, he didn't have anything to gain off of off of you know coming up with a story. The the blind cases they lost something that. They, they they actually got a taste of something that they didn't even have. Yeah, fourteen of those cases that ring that uh, yeah. ring studied, they never even had sight ever in their lives. And that intrigues me of how could they describe color without ever seeing color before? I mean, what does violet look to somebody who's never seen violet before? You know, I, I mean, I unless know. somebody, yeah. So unless they were able yeah. to confirm that it was a dark color. Or something like that, and um, mm-hmm. w- one of the things that they might be able to do is to confirm or convey. Which you know, with blind people, they, you know, many blind people can read in braille, and so it may be sure. that they recognize circular patterns uh, or or different patterns in clothing and things of that nature. Um, but that's wild to, to consider the fact that they're that they're seeing things that um, they, they never they never viewed before. Mm-hmm. And it may be and something like, like if you were to say, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like if you were to say blue is the color of a blueberry, 
which they would probably learn that from early on or something like that, or identify colors with certain objects. Well, this is what this would be, but they never encountered that until they saw it. It might be something like that, you know, sure. I imagine. Because that's a question I had when I read that. How would they communicate mm-hmm. that? But that may go along the lines with uh, people who say that they see uh, colors not found in this um, yeah, side, exactly. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's how do you put words to something you you you've never seen before you know it's just like uh you know and talking about flying boats in the in the in the bible (laughs) well how do you how do you explain airplanes you know (laughs) yeah uh crazy stuff man so so some people claim that hallucinations explain ndes have any cases occurred which hallucinations cannot answer? Absolutely. Uh, and such was the case with Ed, Dr. Eben Alexander, who is uh, a medical doctor, but not just a medical doctor. He's a neurosurgeon. He served as an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years. He's actually from North Carolina and uh, worked up in the University of Virginia. And I believe it was in the hospital in the University of Virginia in Charlottesville where this happened, if, and if memory serves. But Alexander was left in a coma due to his diagnosis of bacterial meningitis. He was given a very slim chance of survival. In fact, bacterial meningitis shuts down the brain. Uh, most interestingly, so so it, it shut his brain down. They didn't think he was going to make it. He was on life support, um, but they had him. They had uh, his his head attached with all these different nodes uh, modules, which were were picking up electrical uh, signals in his brain. And this is what makes this very fascinating. So they had they had the most research. This is probably the most research case in history where a person had an NDE while being hooked up neurologically to, uh, to to all these different modules, evaluating the electrical activity of the brain. Um, during this time, he experienced the events of his NDE, even meeting a family member that he never knew about, but later was confirmed to be a family member he had lost many years ago. Um, Most interestingly in this case, while he experienced the events of his NDE, it was recognized that nothing in his brain was operating outside of what he calls the most primitive parts of his brain, termed the housekeeping parts, which basically kept the heart beating and the lungs Flowing, the, the the parietal glands, the the parts that uh, the, the occipital lobe, the parts of the brain that's that's uh, linked with hallucinations, all of it was essentially, for all intent and purposes, dead. There was no activity for the entire time that he had these encounters. Mm. So there is absolutely no way whatsoever that a hallucination can explain his experiences during that time. That's interesting. And you think about it, um, when doctors really come out with this kind of information, they really kind of in in some ways have a have a lot of lot to lose. Yeah. You know, if they if if you know, um coming out with this type of information uh, against what the normal you could say culture would be, um, for doctors, but Having these kind of experiences definitely, um, hmm, definitely shows uh, 
the evidence for it and and having no activity in the brain while you're experiencing something that is um i mean that's profound meeting people yeah. that they never even knew within yeah. your family and he even talks about uh the fact that he was not even a believer in ndes before this happened and and, and was even he, was he even a believer in in god he was vaguely he was he was really a non-practicing christian you may say he okay. he he held a belief but it was a very loose belief. It wasn't that he's if he was like a really devout Christian during this time. Mm-hmm. But but he held a belief in God. He held a belief in Jesus. But he wasn't very active in his faith. And he you know he was really more scientifically minded than he was really a, even spiritual. You may even say. And so this this completely caught him off guard, and it deepened his faith. It deepened his faith. And uh, really drew him closer to God. Now, I've heard people object to this case, but you know the only thing that they can say about this? They said they thought that this wasn't true because he went on the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, come on. So what? So what? (laughs) That's Uh, not objective evidence to the contrary, my friend. That's just an ad hominem. Yeah. You know what? If I had an encounter like that, uh, I probably would go on Oprah Winfrey show myself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great because then you could help support the ministry a little bit more. Yeah, I tell everybody about Bellator Christie and hey, man, you need to give to this ministry. And <laughs> Good time. Yeah, I mean, so I I know, and I w- we probably will cover some of this, um, you know, when we get to the objections. But but if somebody were to claim that that is that was a um, you know, a work of the devil. All right. Just for example, if somebody were to say that that was the work of a devil, devil, the the devil's doing a terrible job because that just drove that person to Christ. You know, that, so that that's exactly right. Because if if the devil's behind these encounters, then he is the stoop. Well, we he know sucks. he's he's stupid <laughs> because his yeah. strategy. And we know the devil. You know, obviously. Let's give him his due. Yeah. He is a formidable foe, and he's been deceiving people yeah. for thousands of years. But why would he do something that's drawing people to God, whom he opposes, right. when the devil himself wants right. the worship and praise? But people are, right. are, are serving Jesus. So if this is if this is what the devil's doing, then then he's a poor uh, tactician and a poor strategist. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll get into that in our objection show because I think there's a misunderstanding <laughs> even of a passage of scripture talking about uh, the the devil's deception as is he's called an angel yeah. of light. We've talked about this off the podcast, but we'll we'll talk yeah. about that in our next one. So we kind of we kind of did just answer this question, but let's dig into this. Maybe you got more more evidence of it. It says how how have people seen deceased members which are confirmed on this side? Yeah, so I want to give a personal story uh, on this. I, I don't know that you can even technically call it an NDE, and and let's be honest, I don't know what. Uh, there are probably more mysteries and more things that we don't know than what we do uh, until we get to eternity. But my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease, and uh, my she loved my grandfather very much. In fact, she always wanted to go before him. But she had a bad case of Alzheimer's, and she was uh, she was nearing nearing death. Um, 
and but it, and uh, my mom and my uncle were really debating about whether or not to tell her about because grandpa had passed a few months prior to this and uh, they were really debating back and forth about whether to tell her and and the medical staff at uh, the nursing home where she was located advised them not to tell her because she was doing so well uh, because they said that that type of news may provide a setback to her. So it was completely up to them, but they weren't going to tell her anything. It wasn't their place to tell her anything. They said if they wanted to, they could, but they, they suggested probably not telling her because um, because they were afraid it was going to set her back because she was so close to my grandpa. Well, in a moment of clarity, when my mom and my uncle had decided that they were going to tell, they were going to tell grandma because they said she has a right to know. And so uh, they sat down and they were going to going to tell her about the passing of my grandpa. And she said, well, and they said, uh, Mama, we got to tell you about Daddy. And then in a moment of clarity, my grandma looked at them and said, oh, yeah, he passed away. And they looked at one another and said, well, how'd you know that? They said, she said, well, he came to see me and said, I'll be coming not long afterwards. And sure enough, it wasn't very long after that that she passed away herself. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not like technically necessarily your NDE. That's not necessarily right. an NDE experience. But working in hospice, those type of things are far more common than you might think. So when we talk about NDE cases, though, uh, there are times and there are cases where people see someone who's passed away, that they never knew had even passed. So, um, so for instance, I, I just had actually heard about, well, for instance, let me say, there's, there's cases where children have seen other siblings who died in the womb or by miscarriages or whatever the case may be uh, in their experience of heaven. They never knew of having siblings, and they uh, never knew of the miscarriages until after their return. And in a recent story, also from Kenneth Ring, the one I told you about earlier, a recent story tells the case of a woman, and this didn't happen too long ago, a woman who died and saw her sister. And when she returned, she was really confused because she told her parents, she said, uh, she, she came back to her body and she said, I don't understand, I saw my sister but my sister's still alive. How is it I can still see my sister? Or how is it that I saw my sister over there when she's still alive? Well, the parents began bursting out in tears. And they told her, said, Honey, you were sick, and we didn't want to tell you that a few days ago that your sister died in, that, in a car accident. Oh, my goodness. And so this woman had seen her sister, didn't know she'd even died, thought she was still alive. And obviously that sent... Chill bumps, goosebumps. We call it chill bumps down here in North Carolina. Goosebumps, whatever you want to call it. That's good stuff. But but sure enough, she didn't know her sister died. She'd seen her on the other side uh, and came back to report it and left everyone in shock over the issue. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> Jeez, oh man, there's so much information here. Um, <laughs> so... What do you take from these NDE cases? From the objective evidence, I think that it is, I think we have a good ground to say that the immaterial soul lives on beyond the scope of the mortal flesh. I think this bodes well with the soul survivalist uh, uh, theological system that we talked about in the last podcast. Uh, And I also think that one of the things uh, that we can take from this is that uh, 
really in death, while it's a scary thing, and I tell everybody this whenever I'm talking to someone at the end of life, it's natural to have anxieties when we're facing death. I, I, I compare it to... Uh, a roller coaster. When when I was when I was dating my wife, I tried to act like a macho man. I, I just got to tell you, I hate roller coasters. I don't like them. I get sick almost every time I ride them. I don't like them. But I was acting like a macho man. I, I told my wife, "Well, I'll ride them with you." Acting like it was big and bad, and I ended up ironically getting sick on a ride called the Hurler of all things. It did me. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Uh, the names they come up with. But yeah, I remember getting on this one roller coaster. I could see where it would end. I could see where it would come back. But when you go up that hill and you hear that last click and you're looking down at the hill that you're going to drop from uh, or uh, go down, uh, it's scary. It's anxious. Even though you know where you're going, it's still a bit of anxiety involved in that. And I think that's completely natural. But one of the things I think we can take from these NDE counters, while we can't verify everything that people say they see on the other side, the objective evidence tells us that there is life beyond the scope of this mere mortal flesh. And from, from what we hear about these encounters, it really truly seems and appears like that when we pass through the passage of death and God is bringing us into eternity, it's going to be far more peaceful and blissful than anything we could ever think or imagine. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't remember if it was this podcast or the last podcast. I think it was the last one. But I want to reiterate, if there's one thing I've learned through my time as a, in hospice ministry, it's that there is a marked difference between the passing of those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, so I guess let's end this with, are there similarities in these cases then? Yeah, you know, we, we did this, I think, on the last podcast, but I want to go back over this one more time because um, there's there's a, uh, there's a evidence that there are similarities. While there are differences, and we can anticipate that there will be differences in experiences, there are certain things that people, that, that most people, the majority of people talk about having uh, with these cases, and I think we gave this in the last podcast, but it, it deserves reiterating on this one. 75.4% of people in, experience having a separation of consciousness from the physical body. 74.4% have heightened senses. Um, maybe they're more conscious or alert, or they they experience an existence that's more real than this one. Um 76.2% uh, describe having intense or generally positive feelings or emotion emotions. One of the most common um, traits is that they have incredible peace. Peace unlike they've ever have, had in their lives. Uh, 33.8% talk about passing through a tunnel. That's less, less of a uh, percentage there, but uh, there are, you know, uh, what, about a third who talk about going through a tunnel. Uh, 64.6% talk about encountering a brilliant light or a mystical light of some sort. Over half, uh, close to 60%, 57.3%, talk about meeting other individuals, angelic beings, deceased relatives or friends. Uh, 60.5% uh, talk about having a sense of alteration of space and time. Uh, time is different. 22% talk about having a life review. Um, 52, over half, talk about encountering unworldly heavenly realms. 
over half, 56% talk about having or, or learning new knowledge. Uh, 31% talk about having a boundary or barrier. And, uh, and then 58% talk about having a, uh, or actually 59% talk about being given the choice to whether or not they wanted to return to the body. So while there are differences, there are a lot more similarities than what we had imagined. And, um, and I think there are a lot more cases out there than what we would ever imagine as well. Well, it's all left to the mystery. Uh, <laughs> man, it's good stuff. Well, I'm looking forward to the next one where we talk about uh, some of the objections and uh, try to try to go through that. And we've got the some of the evidence laid out for you today. And um, we definitely, definitely... Um, want to want to give you the the tools and the and equip you with the thoughts of uh of digging into this stuff and uh can, can i say one more thing before we sure. conclude just to kind of whet your appetite for the next podcast there are yeah. two categories of people who object to near-death experiences one as you might think are the materialists but the secondly is that there's a group of Christians who actually oppose NDEs, and I think we do ourselves a disservice by being by, by doing that. But we'll talk more about that in the next podcast, and we'll talk about uh, how we can respond to those objections. Well, it's going to get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, folks, and we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for that uh, for spending the time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and as a place to strengthen your faith strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say, so long, friends. friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast and BellatorChristi.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christi. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.
Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.